but um, for us as well, just wonderful to be here. My first occasion preaching since we've made the move um, down the road from Scotland, just down the road, just a few miles down the road. Uh, and so it's a real privilege and blessing to be here today. And as, as Phil said, um, we're continuing on the, the series, Jesus Followers. And we've had a wonderful three weeks so far where we've just been able to look at a little bit more detail on what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Because we can so easily say, I'm a Christian, or, you know, I'm, I'm a disciple of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, and so easily say these things. But what does it actually mean in terms of practical steps, and, and how does that work out in our lives? And so we're really blessed to, to have Phil do a great intro three weeks ago, um, just setting the scene for the series. And then Christian, um, in the second week, just spoke about how it is to be a Jesus follower in the marketplace. And that was really challenging for those of us as we move out of church and go out into the world uh, and, and want to be relevant in the world as well. And then last week, um, we had uh, Phil speaking, and he talked a little bit about immorality and how, that, how being a Jesus follower affects our morality, as that's such a big part of who we are. And, and this week, it's my privilege to speak into the topic of obedience. If we're a Jesus follower, how does it affect us and how does it play into us being obedient? Obedient to Jesus Christ and obedient to the calling that he has on our life. And so we're going to be looking at a, a section of scripture in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And I'll give you a chance to turn to that. It is going to come up on the screen, so there's no need to turn in your Bible if you don't want to. But th this is basically a section of scripture which we find it's a... It's an account which we find in two places in the Bible. It's also in Matthew chapter 7, perhaps better known in, in Matthew chapter 7. And it, it comes towards the end of the Sermon on the, on the Mount where Jesus is teaching into various different aspects. Um, and it's a really, obviously, well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but towards the end of it, we read these words. And, and I'm going to read the, the account from Luke 6. It says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house. And if we read into, into Matthew chapter 7, the other parallel account of it, it actually goes into more detail. It doesn't just say, a torrent struck the house. It says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And then back to Luke 6. But they could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. And just after that, as I was, I was preparing and just um, seeking God as to what He wanted me to talk into and what scripture He wanted me to use, I, I read this scripture a few weeks ago, and at the time, um, we, if you were watching the news, if you pay attention to the news, we were in the midst of Hurricane Matthew. And it was forming in the, in the Caribbean and obviously wreaking such havoc in, in some of the islands and the Bahamas and Haiti and, and heading straight towards Florida, the United States as well. And, and 
I suppose we pay attention to these, there's, there's obviously these hurricanes and adverse weather and monsoons all over the world, but I always pay particular attention when it's in places of the world where we have loved ones, friends and family. And so a few weeks ago, I was, I was constantly trying to keep up to date. Where's Matthew? What's happening? Where's it going? Is it heading towards our loved ones and our family? Um, Avalini, who she has there in Florida. And so we was paying attention on social media as well and hearing all the accounts of people getting ready and preparing for the hurricane. And uh, I said this morning as well, one of my friends posted on Facebook that he had his wife, him and his wife, up on the roof of the house trying to put these hurricane shutters onto the second floor uh, windows of the house just to make sure that we were prepared for the hurricane. But it was one particular uh, story that I had read um, in, in, in the media um, that caught my attention just in the aftermath of the story. It was a lady called Judy Maddell who, well, the very day, the 28th of September, the very day that this tropical storm at this stage, Matthew, was forming in the East Caribbean, um, she received a letter from her home insurance company saying, as of the 1st of October, your insurance is lapsing. And so she thought, this is a bit strange, what's going on? And, and she dug into it and she found out that they had sent a letter and she never got it or she don't recall the letter. But they'd have sent a letter in March saying, unless you get your, your house sorted, there's an aspect, I think it was the plumbing or something that needed sorting, then your insurance is going to lapse. And so she, she phoned up and she phoned her bank and she tried to make inquiries. Surely they couldn't do this to her. And on the 29th of September, the very next day, the bank confirmed, yes, they sent the notification, we've checked it out somehow you must have not got it but there's nothing we can do, your home insurance is lapsing and so there she was facing the hurricane uh, without home insurance, facing uh, really unprepared for what was coming and bearing down on her and obviously she was scrambling and, and scrambling to get food ready, scrambling to get the house ready, but also scrambling to get home insurance for this, this uh, natural disaster that was heading her way and so, as fortune would have it, um, if you paid any attention, the hurricane actually took a little wobble. And it, instead of heading straight towards Florida, it headed up the coast. And so she thought, well, we've avoided it. But obviously, as, as a hurricane is, when even if you don't, it doesn't hit you head on, there's still lots of rain, there's still lots of wind. And so um, she woke up on the morning of the 7th of October to hear a huge crash. And one of the oak trees at the back of her house had fallen slap bang on the top of her roof, creating a huge cavity in her, in her living room and, and kind of branches into her living room and everything. And it was despair. It was the worst case scenario, wasn't it? No insurance. And so with the help of a few family members and a, a help of good Samaritans in the community, she managed to kind of patch things up a bit. But really she was facing tens of thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds or ten thousand uh, dollars of damage and, and so really fa facing financial ruin. And um, obviously being in the media, it's probably going to be a, uh, either a terrible ending or a good ending, isn't it? Um, but as it were, was, and you know, cutting to the, to the, to the final um, 
result of this. On the 14th of October, so just a week, just more than a week ago, she received this notification that the, the home insurance that you applied for before the, the tree fell on the roof, you hadn't, she hadn't received notification that it had come through, but she re- received the notification that they will cover you. Your policies, your application's been accepted and they'll pay out your damages. And so from this moment of absolute despair to this moment of great joy that, yes, she was covered. And it was interesting to hear. <clears throat> I, was, I had a chuckle because um, she said, I'm not a religious person, but I have never prayed so much, she said. <laughs> Isn't that funny? At the time that we most need him, we always pray. But <clears throat> it, was the, it was the home insurance company that got the glory, not, not God in this case. And um, so, you know what? A situation, a real life situation that's just happened in the last few weeks of someone facing a storm, but not prepared at all for the storm. Facing a storm, not knowing what was going to hit, not knowing what was going to happen. And actually the damage did hit. And you, we, we may, may not be facing hurricanes and we're not certainly not in a, a danger zone for hurricanes or any adverse weather here in the East Midlands, is it? Apart from a few st- snowstorms. You don't get too much adverse weather, do you here? No? We're okay? Good. I was thinking maybe I needed to relocate again. No, we're fine. But we do face so many other storms. And, and Jesus uses this illustration of a storm to such effect in, in Luke chapter 6, where he uses it and he says that we need to have foundations that are sure when we face the storms of life. It could be any sort of storms that we face. It could be storms in family. Storms in marriages, storms in finances, storms at your work, storms of all sorts that we face, even storms of health where, where our health just doesn't hold out, or emotional storms, whatever it may be, but we do face storms. In fact, the Bible is very clear and it says that in this world we will face storms. If we're Christians even, we face storms. Nobody's immune to it. Wherever you stand, whoever you believe in, whatever religion you follow, you'll face some trouble in life. And us Christians are not immune to that in any way. We will face trouble. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about the troubles he faced, the storms, the shipwrecks in in terms of physical storms, but also the persecutions he suffered, all sorts of things. And obviously our best example of all, Jesus Christ went through so much during his time here on earth. We will definitely face storms. But I want to ask you the question today, are we prepared for the storms? Are we prepared? Where is our foundation? Are we ready? And obviously we're um, talking about the topic of obedience today. It's a topic that, um, to be fair, we can't cover everything in, in half an hour. So if I miss out anything today or don't do it exhaustively, well then understand, we've got half an hour here. So there's uh, many different approaches that we can take to the topic of obedience. I could stand up here and tell you, do this, do that. This is what God expects of you. And these are the standards he expects us to meet. And while I wouldn't be wrong in doing that, I just want to take a slightly different angle today. And I want to take the angle from what it says here in Luke 6. And I want to say to you today that, you know what? Obedience, the obedience that God asks of us, can actually help us weather the storms of life. 
Now, our primary reason for obedience is not so that we're well prepared for the storms of life. Our primary obedience is because He's Lord of Lord. He's King of Kings. And, and we're obedient to Him because He knows best. Because He loves us. But here's the thing. He's not got some sixth sense of, I just want people to obey me because I'm the, I'm the King and I'm the Lord. And, and, and just asking us to jump through hoops for the sake of jumping through hoops. These things actually benefit us. Being obedient to God actually benefits us when we face the storms of life. If you read commentaries and studies on this particular passage, there will be an acknowledgement that the passage does refer to the ultimate foundation when we face the seat of judgment, when we face eternity. That's our ultimate test of our foundation. But most biblical scholars would also say that there is an application in this text for the turmoils and the struggles and the storms of life being prepared for them. And so there's a few um, points that I want to make out of this section of Scripture um, as we look at it. And then we're going to quickly jump on to another passage that I want to look at as well. But before I get there, it's very easy in church to come into church and see all you respectable people, um, good-looking, well-dressed, and, and, and you seem so spiritual. And even perhaps the, the people on the platform, you may think, oh, they're super spiritual. But it's not the case at all. You know, we all need to hear about obedience. We all have challenges of obedience. In fact, when Jesus hits the nail on the head, doesn't he? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you do not do as I say? And so many times we, we consider that this is Christians or people that profess to be followers of Jesus and people who don't. But actually he's talking about people that say, Lord, Lord, I, they're acknowledging his lordship. They're coming to him, they're hearing, but they're not putting into practice. And so it's relevant for us here in Arena Mansfield tonight it's relevant for us no matter where we are, how far we are on our walk with Jesus. So a few different things that I just wanted to bring out, just three points from this section. First of all, if we read into, the, into Luke 6, the first thing that I picked up was this, it takes time. Obedience takes time. You see, it's talking about a foundation. It's talking about digging down deep until they found the rock. And if you know anything about construction, it's the foundation that takes perhaps the longest of any part of building. And I'm certainly no expert, but um, it always sticks in my mind from almost 15 years ago now when I was actually living in Florida and working there. And, and I remember um, as I was working for a country club at the time, and they were building a new clubhouse just next to the existing one. And, and every time I looked out, we had this huge glass window. And every time I looked out the window, I was kind of daily almost following the construction of this new building. And there was a window of four months that had to, that this building had to be finished in the four-month window before the high season hit in. And I remember looking out after two months, and it seemed like they hadn't even scratched the surface. There was a bit of digging, and there was a bit of work being done, but really, it seemed like nothing was being done. And yet, as we closed on the deadline, suddenly things came to life. Suddenly, the, the walls came up so quickly because the foundations were laid with care, with diligence. The foundation's the part that takes the longest of a building. Am I right? Yeah. 
And so it is with us as well. You know, sometimes we, we come to Jesus, and the wonderful thing about it is that we come to Him when we believe in Him as our Lord and Savior. It's an instant transformation. We instantly are saved. It's not, that's not a process. But when we become Christians, when we come to Him and we say, Lord, I want You to be Lord of my life, there's some things in terms of obedience, lifestyle change, that take time. And we shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't be discouraged when we we don't meet up to the standards of those that have been walking a lot longer on the journey with us. It takes time. It really is a process of almost changing our culture. We never leave our culture. never leave the fact that I'm South African and you guys are from the East Midlands. But we adopt a new culture. We adopt new habits because we're we're now followers of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to adopt the new habits of the East Midlands and I shared this morning that I now know what a bacon cob is. It sounded delicious even before I knew what it was. I thought it was a, a, co- a cob of corn wrapped in bacon and I thought, wow, that sounds tasty too. But I now know what a, co- a, a, a bacon cob is. And so as I'm learning the East Midlands culture, just as a joke, but really our culture is a heavenly culture. You and I may be from different places, but we have the culture that is determined by our relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been having a series on honor, haven't we? And so when we step into relationship with Jesus Christ, we step out of a dishonoring culture and we say, I'm going to honor we step out from maybe uh, miserliness or, or, or stinginess and we step into generosity because that's the culture that God wants of us. And these are all parts of our obedience to Him. So it does. It does take time. But it also takes hard work. The Bible's very clear. Um, it, um, the Bible talks about and, and uses the illustration sometimes in, in terms of Christian walk as soldiers, you know, soldiers or, or athletes. Hard work. It takes hard work to be an athlete. It takes a discipline on, on what you eat, on what times you go to bed, and, and uh, on the exercise that you, you do as well. And so I can only imagine the discipline it takes for somebody like Usain Bolt, for example, to be at the level that he is. And so for us, we're in, in some sense athletes as well, is that we're in training for Christ. It takes hard work. Sometimes there's sacrifices that need to be made. And I, I do, I'm, I, I tell the story again. I remember my dad in the 1994 World Cup. Uh, it was on a Sunday evening. We'd been to morning church already. And uh, I remember as a teenager thinking, well, come on. I've been to morning church. I'll be able to watch the World Cup, won't I? Brazil versus Italy, I remember it. And, and I remember my dad saying, no, Stephen, we're going to church. And we did put it on the record and we did watch it afterwards. But here's the thing. We're not going to be legalistic about it today. But here's the thing that my dad taught me, that sometimes we do need to even leave good things, don't we? We need to make the sacrifice for the better. That sometimes we need to say, no, I'm putting that aside and I'm going to take the decision. Yeah, it may be hard, but it was worth it. And as, as you know, if you can remember, I didn't miss much. 
it was a goalless draw after 90 minutes, a, a nil-nil after 120 minutes and went to penalties. The penalties were good. Um, anyway, but it can be hard work building a foundation uh, of obedience. But the other thing I wanted to say is it also takes submission. It takes submission to God. It's the obedience part and hearing and obeying and saying, well, I know that he knows best. I don't know best. He does. After all, he's the rock. He's the one that we obey, even when it seems illogical. Because sometimes God does ask things to ask us to do things that don't make sense. Sometimes he asks us to do things that are against the flow of what's happening in our lives and against the flow of the culture, whatever it may be. But what we do is we say, I submit to God. I know that he knows best. He's the one that knows all things. The great example of this is is the story of Noah in the Bible where he was asked to build this ark Nowhere close to water, nowhere close to a sea, but God said, build this massive ark, and he gave the dimensions. He said, this is how long it has to be. It has to be three tiers, the upper, middle, and lower deck. Um, You have to do it here and build it, and I'm going to send two of every animal, and they're going to go into the ark, and you're going to be saved from the flood that is coming. And it seemed like an illogical thing to do, but the wonderful thing is that Noah obeyed. And there's these beautiful words in, 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 in the scripture. It says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, I wonder what would have happened if Noah said, Nah, you know, I'm going to build the ark, but God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to maybe, two decks will be okay. Maybe not quite as long, as long as it's big enough. But he obeyed every single instruction he did everything that just as God commanded him submitting to God but there's a promise attached to to Luke 6 it says this it says you will be unshakable when the flood came the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built and so we may be talking about a difficult topic of obedience and it may not be easy to do but here's a promise attached to it that when we obey him when we have this true faith that results in obedience we will be unshakable against the t- storms that we go through can I just say at this point that What I'm not saying tonight is that we are preaching a gospel of works by any means. I'm not saying you have to obey, obey, obey to earn God's favor because ultimately we can't earn God's favor through our obedience. But here's the beautiful thing that scripture tells us that a true and authentic faith produces obedience. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, Stephen, I can never meet these standards. I can never obey, do everything that God has called me to do. Well, let me tell you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Understand who he is. Understand that he's died on the cross for our sins that we were hopeless and we had no hope but he reached out to us while we were yet sinners and he said there's hope do we realize the authority of God do we realize that he's omniscient he knows all things do we realize he's our creator because if we do realize and we have that real faith in him then obedience flows from that And so it's not a heavy burden uh, today. 
It's a joy that we get to obey because of God and everything He's done for us. But I do want to quickly, um, time allows me, just to get on to another section of Scripture, um, particularly the, the story of Jonah. We're really hitting the Sunday school classics today and, and uh, this morning as well. We've, we've got the, the foolish, the wise and foolish builder out the way. We've got a Noah in there. We've got Jonah. So we're really, um, my, my Sunday school teacher would be proud. Maybe, I don't know if it's linked into the, the, the Bible stories I read with, with, with the kids at night because it's amazing how God speaks to me through the Bible stories that I read with the kids at night. Sometimes I think I'm more blessed than they are. But we look at the story of Jonah, and, and many of you know it so well. Really, in just a few lines, Jonah was a prophet. A prophet who was called by God to speak a, a word to a, a city of Nineveh. But he, didn't, he had prejudice against them for reasons. We won't go into all the details. But he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, and he ran away from God. He ran onto a ship, took a ship in the opposite direction from where God was calling, to, calling him to. Wasn't obedient at all. And we know the story of how the storm came and, and things happened and eventually he was chucked overboard and, and a fish came and swallowed him up and saved him from almost certain drowning and God has his hand upon him. But there's a few things that I want to maybe just talk to, talk, to, talk out of this section of scripture. And here's the thing, we've spoken about the fact that God helps us through the storms, that some storms are almost unavoidable because that's life, isn't it? But the reality is as well is that sometimes there can be storms that actually are happening because of our disobedience. There can be storms that we encounter because we have chosen to turn our back on what God wants us to do. Just like it was for Jonah, that can happen in our lives as well. You see, God does call for a specific obedience. He calls for general obedience to his principles that are found in the word of God. That's, that's one thing for sure. But he also has a specific obedience like he had for Jonah and that he has for our lives too. Do you know that whoever you are here today, that God created you and he has purpose for your life? He had purpose for Jonah's life. We don't know why he chose Jonah of all people to speak to Nineveh. But he had specific purpose for Jonah. And he's got specific purpose for us. And sometimes he asks us to obey him in very specific ways. There's a scripture in, in, in the Bible that talks about the, uh, a rich young ruler who wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said this to him. He said, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. It was a specific instruction to this man. How many of you know God doesn't ask that from all of us? He doesn't ask all of us to sell all our possessions, give it to the poor, and, 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 and come and follow him. But he asked this man because he knew this man individually. He knew his struggle. He knew that the Bible says he went away sad because he was very wealthy. He couldn't do it. And so in each one of our lives, there's a specific instruction, a specific calling that God has. And, and often that's linked into, yes, our unique gifting, our unique calling, but also often our unique character and the things that we need to get molded in our lives. Like the rich young ruler, he needed to give up his reliance on his wealth. 
you know, for us, for Alini and I, I'm very hesitant to use our example as an example of obedience because I'm far from the best example on obedience. In fact, I feel quite comfortable when we're talking about Jonah to talk about ourselves because that's our story. That's our story, whereas, particularly for me, maybe not Rampalini in this, but I've run away from my calling for different reasons than Jonah did, but run away from our calling. But let me tell you this, I've learned in different ways to Jonah, but I've learned this, that when we're obedient to God, there's something powerful that happens. When we're, no matter how much we pursue our own ends, it's always better being in the blessing of God, following the calling that God has asked us to, to do. And as you know, we've, we've relocated recently from Scotland. And, and that for us is, is a big step. It's a step of faith. But let me tell you this. It's no greater or better than your story of obedience that God's called you to do. Because God may have not asked you to move location. He may have asked you just to be here, to stay here, to do what He wants you to do right here. And that is just as powerful. Yeah. In fact, can I say, sometimes the leaving is easier than the staying. Sometimes staying is the hardest part to say, well, yes, I'm going to continue. Yes, I'm going to continue in my community where they know my past, where they know what I was, and now I'm different. And I'm going to make a difference because I believe in God and He's called me here. So God has a very specific calling for each one of us. But also the other thing that we learn so well from this is that God is such a gracious God as well. Aren't you grateful that God's a gracious God? I know I'm so grateful. You see, we talk about obedience and it can be a scary thing, but we can draw comfort from the fact that Jonah ran the opposite direction from his calling, but God still had mercy on him. He sent the storm and he sent a fish to swallow him up when he was thrown overboard and he still gave him another chance and, and he, had three, he had three days in the belly of the fish before he cried out to God and God heard him, answered him and the fish spat him up. So just the same as God had, was gracious to Jonah I believe God is gracious to us as well so please don't go away from this meeting tonight thinking that I'm, I'm beating you with a stick of obedience here because God is a gracious God he wants us to obey for the right reasons because he wants to bless us but also when we do mess up aren't you glad that he's a gracious God aren't you glad that he gives us a second chance in fact he gives us a third and a fourth chance sometimes and even beyond that but God is a gracious God but the other thing is that God cares about our hearts as well. And, you know, we, we read in the story of Jonah that he, he eventually got spat up on the beach by the fish and he made his way to Nineveh. <clears throat> he preached and he said what God asked him to say to the people of Nineveh. And they all repented and the king repented and, and, and the city turned around. But then we read how Jonah actually went outside the city and just sulked because God had forgiven these people. And I'm amazed at that because God used this man so powerfully even when his heart wasn't right. 
but God wasn't finished with him yet. And if we read into the last few chapters of Jonah, he takes him out and, and he's outside the city. And God, as he's sitting there, God grows a, a plant over his shelter and gives him nice shade from the elements. And But the next day, he, he sends a worm to to. to to eat the plant and the plant dies and, and he sends this east wind I believe and it's a scorching wind and it's hotter than ever before and he cries out and he's angry because the plant died and God said to him yeah you're angry because of what happened to this plant well just as compassionate and gracious as a, 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 am I for the people of Nineveh you have no heart for the, even the people of Nineveh you care more about the plant than the people of Nineveh and so he's working on Jonah's heart even when the repentance has happened in Nineveh he's concerned about Jonah's heart you know we can so easily be obedient in body and not in, in action and not in heart and there was a great illustration and Lenny and I always refer to it um, almost at least seems once a week um, but Phil gave a great illustration of a, of a mother telling their child to sit down and, and I'm probably saying it all wrong but basically the child responded and said okay mom I'm sitting down on the outside but inside I'm standing up And so it was for Jonah, really. He was, he was preaching on the outside. He was in the city of Nineveh. But really his heart was elsewhere. I don't want to say this to you. If you've been obedient to God, but really your heart's not in it. You may even be used because God is a gracious God. He may still use you. But to keep going, to keep the longevity, to keep going and going and, and be sustainable in terms of what you're doing, your obedience, you need to get your heart right. Where's your focus? Is it on yourself or is it on the fact that Jesus, you love Jesus and that we love people too? That's ultimately what we are here for tonight. We're not here just to, to preach. We're not here just to stand up and put on a show. We're here because Jesus loves, because we love Jesus and because he loves people as well. I've over, overrun my time, I think, but I'm going to call the band uh, to come forward just as we do draw this to a conclusion. You see, just as we, if we're obedient to God... Just as we can be unshakable through the storms that come our way, if we obey God, we can also be unstoppable in the things we do. That sounds like a bold statement, doesn't it? It sounds almost arrogant to say it. But here's the beautiful thing, that when we abandon our agenda and we tap into God's agenda... Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans of man, but God's purposes prevail. God's purposes prevail. So when God's purposes, when our purposes become God's purposes, then we're going to see things happen. Then that's when we become an unstoppable. That's when we become a church that's, that's got God's agenda on our heart, not man's agenda, God's agenda. That's when we can achieve things. That's when we can become unshakable and unstoppable. And so I'm going to ask you to just to bow your heads tonight. And just give an opportunity to, to let that word soak in. It's not my words, it's um, the Bible we've been looking at. And 
God is a faithful God and when he asks us to obey he